The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 201 of the podcast where you're joining us live on Facebook or YouTube. Today is Monday, July 20th. We're a day later than usual, but you guys got two episodes last week. So what are you complaining about? Something, probably. Um, (laughs) In any case, we'll address your complaints and grievances in addition to uh, breaking down UFC Fight Night, Figueredo versus Benavidez too. But before we get to all that, let me introduce my co-host, all the way from sweltering New Jersey, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling on this Monday night, my friend? Bill, it's sweltering, dude. It's muggy up here because of whatever hurricane or tropical storm we're on. I think it's Faye or Greg. I don't know anymore. But um, you know how they're named. It, it's like the the next um, letter in the alphabet and then whatever gender it wasn't. So yeah. if this one's Faye, the next one's probably going to be Greg. Or yeah. maybe, maybe tropical storm Garrett. Garrett. Garrett's coming to town. <laughs> But they're they're gonna have to start making them gender neutral names, I think. These tropical storms, Jeff. We gotta yeah. they gotta get to the times. Um, these uh, these meteorologists are are not very uh, inclusive of uh, of all of our community here. Yeah, they're gonna be named Sparrow <laughs> or um, or Andrea. Andrea, <laughs> a boy and a girl's name. Yeah, there's that's what they're gonna have to do. They're gonna have to go with like those androgynous names. But anyway, Bill, enough with the politics. Yeah, let's talk some booze because I'm sipping on some nice tequila here on a Monday night. And um, normally I wouldn't drink on a weeknight, but I figured a little a little after dinner nightcap wouldn't hurt since we're doing the show tonight. And I wanted to tell people about this tequila I was drinking over the weekend because I think, Jeff, this is the closest tequila I found to like a whiskey. Um, so this is like a good transition tequila for people who are big time whiskey drinkers and they want to kind of like ease into the tequila world. It's called uh, Maestro Dobel. Okay. And this is the Añejo. Look how dark this is, Jeff. Yeah, dude. You can't even tell that it's vodka. Yeah, it's not. It's tequila. Well, that's what I said. You can't tell it's tequila. <laughs> So just for comparison, and this is just for the people on YouTube, this is the Heaven Hill bourbon I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. You hold them up side by side, you can see the color is pretty comparable. Yeah. Um, the Maestro de Bell is a little bit more red, but it's aged in two different kinds of oak barrels. So it's aged in American white oak barrels and then European reserve barrels. Um, so you're getting like two different oaky flavor profiles here uh which gives it this this dark color um and and considering it's twice it's twice aged in the barrels the price point is not bad um 
that the Añejo, which is like obviously the top of the line, will go for around 50 bucks, which is pretty good um, for, you know, considering what you're getting here. And I really think like if you're looking to get into tequila and you're a big whiskey drinker, this would be my number one recommendation. I haven't, and this is kind of the one I've been looking for because I've fallen on some other ones that are like some good sippers and like, you know, a good substitute for whiskey. If you're trying to get away from the whiskey a little bit, tequila is a little bit more healthy for you. Um, it has some like health benefits from the agave. It, it helps with digestion. Uh, it, it acts as a sleep aid. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it has some, it has more medicinal properties and it also has less sugar because like with a bourbon, the bourbons will be sweet because the sugars from the corn break down um during the fermentation and that's why you get that that sweet upfront flavor of the bourbons but since uh since tequila is made from agave it's it's more of a natural sweetener um so it's not really sugar that's coming out of it it's really like that agave syrup unless you get like a low-end cheap tequila like a cuervo or salsa or something like that then there's added sugars and chemicals and stuff like that but uh maestro dobel this is a uh, this is what I'm recommending for whiskey drinkers to transition to tequila. And it's a sipper. Like we say, Jeff, like tequila is not meant to be taken as shots. Every time I've said this a thousand times, every time I talk to people and they're like, Oh, I can't do tequila. Well, why not? Well, back in college, I did 14 shots of Cuervo in one night and I had, you know, 13 Coronas. It's like, well, no wonder you think tequila is bad. <laughs> like, why are you doing And you probably had the worst hangover of your life because of all the added sugar in that Cuervo. Um, but anyway, I digress. Let's talk some fights, Jeff. Uh, and we had some good ones on Saturday night, man. Uh, the, the, the thing I loved most about this card is that it was over at 1030. <laughs> but um, apparently you didn't make it the whole time, Jeff. We went until 2 in the morning on Wednesday. And then I was texting you during the main event and, and crickets. What, 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 what was going on kid? Bill, I didn't sleep that night. So, um, what I did was I was having a hard time sleeping Thursday and Friday as well. So what, what I was doing, what I did to regulate my sleep pattern is I just stayed up all night, Friday night and stayed up until like Saturday night. So I'd be really tired and get my eight hours of sleep. And See, apparently it worked because I was out at nine 30. And I didn't wake up until like 7.30 the next day. <laughs> but that's too much sleep, Jeff. You, you know, that, that's like counterproductive. You know what you need? You need a little maestro dobel, a little, just a little nightcap at night to, you know, it help you uh, help you cruise the snoozeville. Yeah, Bill, I'm just looking at the color of that stuff. If you had it on a shelf and I didn't know what it was, I wouldn't be able to tell that it was tequila. Yeah, yeah, you really can't tell except for the fact that like, it says tequila like up and down the bottle, but I know you can't read that because the, the light's reflecting off of it. But yeah, if you saw it up high on a shelf, you would think it, it was like a whiskey or something. But the aged tequilas are becoming really uh, popular. I was watching that. Um, I was watching that Michael Jordan documentary, that 10 part ESPN thing. And um, in every scene, he's sitting there with like, with like a nice pour of some, brown liquid and he's having a cigar and uh so i i took to twitter which is where you can find all the answers and apparently it was tequila he was drinking i thought he had like a nice bourbon uh, but 
apparently Michael Jordan is like an investor in a tequila company. And I don't remember off the top of my head what it is. Um, but whatever he was drinking, it was like this, this dark reddish Brown, uh, tequila and it looked really good. And I think I remember looking it up and I'm like, this is way too expensive to even try. But if there's anybody listening who has a contact with the Michael Jordan tequila company, feel free to send me some and I'll be happy to try it and, uh, and spread the good word. Um, so anyway, Jeff, uh, where do you want to start here? Should we start at the top or should we start at the part of the card that you were awake for? Uh, we can start at the top. I mean, I watched the fights the next day. They didn't last more than eight minutes combined. Yeah, it was beautiful. Home main event. So, yeah, it was awesome, man. The the fights on on Wednesday they kind of dragged on a little too much. That was that that was too long, and it went so late in the night. So yeah, let's start with the flyweight championship. Davidson Figueredo um, putting an exclamation point on the series with Joseph Benavides. Um, you, you know, you can't help but feel for, for Joe because he's been around for so long, different organizations, different weight classes, moved around teams. Everybody has nothing but nice things to say about this guy. And the one thing he wanted was to get that UFC built around his waist. Um, and, and if he existed at a different time than, you know, Mighty Mouse or Davison Figueredo, he may have realized that dream, but, um, to 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 say that his career is legendary would be an understatement, right? Like uh, this guy has been number two or three in in two divisions throughout his whole career, pretty much, because he came around just when these lighter weight classes were starting to come around. But man, what a dominant performance by Figueredo! He dropped him with that first punch that was like to the forehead and, and put him down with that. Like, how often do you see that? Like, usually in sparring. When they're telling you to go light, they tell you like punch the guy in the forehead, like so you don't accidentally knock him out. Um, and, and he put him down with the forehead shot, Jeff. That's so hard to do. It's one of the hardest bones in the human body, and the and the the hands are like some of the weakest. Uh, but he dropped him with that, almost sunk in a rear naked choke like eight times, and then the finish, man, he twisted him up like a pretzel. Just the he knew he had to like really dig in deep because Joe wasn't going to tap. So he had to like really stretch him out and, and mangle his body. And, and the way he stretched him out was, was pretty gruesome. Like he got like real low on the hips and pushed his hips into him and just cranked that neck back and put him to sleep. Um, it, it was, it was a vicious performance by Figueredo. He wanted to leave no questions this time after uh missing weight in their first fight and there was the head butt and you know I I tend to think as much of a fan of Benavidez as I am that the head butt was kind of his fault because he tends to lean forward a little bit. Um I don't think it was an intentional headbutt from Figueredo, but nonetheless that was the that was the dialogue coming out of that fight. So he wanted to leave no questions and that's exactly what he did. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Oh absolutely no questions left in in that series. I mean, like you said, dude, that finish was gruesome. I mean, he was bending his spine back, and and you saw the look on Benavidez's face. Like, his eyes rolled into the back of his head. Dude, he was gone for, like, a minute. I'm pretty sure um, it was, like, one of those Marvel movies of Doctor Strange where um, their their spirit comes out of their body. That's what <laughs> Benavidez experienced as he looked at himself lying on the ground. Dude. Um, credit to Figueredo. He definitely earned the nickname God of War, man. Uh, you know, he dropped him a few times with that right hand. 
And credit to Joseph Benavidez, man. So tough to, to last as long as he did, you know, in, in two fights. And, dude, I, I don't know what else you can say. I mean, Figueredo just has his number. And like you said, Benavidez, he's definitely a future Hall of Famer. He's just, you know, in the wrong time. Um, you know, Mighty Mouse beat him twice. I would have liked to see him get the third shot at uh, Henry Cejudo because I'm pretty sure they're 1-1. But that didn't happen. And, man, talk about getting the short end of the stick, Bill. But at the end of the day, Joseph Benavidez is married to Megan Olivi, Bill. So I think he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is that is quite a nice upside. I, I believe that him and Cejudo only fought once. And, yeah, they, they only fought once, and Benavidez won a split decision. So he has a win over Triple C. Um yeah, man, it's it, it's tough because it, you know the guy has been fighting since 2006, and it, you know out of the gate went on like a 12 fight win streak until he met up with a guy by the name of Dominic Cruz. I don't know if you ever heard of him, Jeff. Um, but yeah, he's always been like right there, you know. And, and and if you look at his losses over his career, like Dominic Cruz, Mighty Mouse. Um, you got Sergio Pettis in there, I believe, and uh, Jose Formiga twice. I mean, you got to wonder what you do with both of these guys. If if Benavidez doesn't want to retire, like maybe Tim Elliott fight uh, would be fun. That would be a fun one to watch. But what do you do with Figueredo, man? He's, his only loss is to Jose Formiga, who's on a three-fight losing streak. So you can't make that happen. Um, I'm not entirely sure... Who else is in this division um, except for uh, Askar Askarov, who had a nice performance against Alexander Pantoa. Um, but yeah, man, what, what do you do with, with either of these guys, Jeff? I, I'm kind of stumped. Yeah, dude, Joseph Benavidez has been around the block a few times. He's kind of the Uriah favor of the flyweights at this point where he's fought everybody at the top and unfortunately he's not getting a title shot too. He's probably going to have to be the guy you beat to get to Davison Figueredo. I'd actually like to see, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would have liked to see John Dodson drop back down to flyweight and maybe challenge Figueredo. I think that would be a really fun fight, but he's happy at 135. He's racked up a couple of wins recently. So I mean, 135, it's a little bottleneck. So I don't think that going back down to flyweight is a bad move for John Dodson. Yeah. I, I yeah, and especially he's getting into his upper 30s now. So to to make that cut is it, just too hard on the body. Um, you, you know, you just don't react to the weight cut the same way anymore. Uh, and the recovery isn't the same either. So when you're cutting weight really harshly, your body's just not recuperating from those hard workouts in the same way. Um, there, there's been talk of Cody Garbrandt possibly dropping down. I guess he could, he says he can make it. Um, but it's like, it, it's like to make this division work, you got to jam all these square pegs into the round hole, you know? Uh, it, it's just not working. And you got Formiga, who, not Formiga, um, Figueredo, who's not even like a real flyweight. You know, we saw him miss weight in his title shot. Like, do you have to worry about this guy missing weight to defend his title now? Um, he's probably should be a bantamweight. And, uh, you know, now that he won the title, what if he wants to move up and challenge like uh, Peter Jan? Um, 
I think that's a fun fight. Uh, I think Peter Jan has uh, a few more things on his plate to get through first. You got a really stacked bantamweight division, but <clears throat> it's really unfortunate that the division below it is, is pretty empty. Um, but in any case, uh, a career defining performance for Figueredo, man, like nobody has dominated Joseph Benavidez like that. Um, <clears throat> and you've seen the guys he's been in there with, and he's never been submitted before. Um, just, Really fantastic performance by Figueredo. Let's talk about this co-main event, Jeff. It was a quick one. Minute 18 seconds. Did not go down the way I think anybody anticipated. For sure. Um, <clears throat> Gasolin pressuring on the feet a little bit at first. And Hermanson, he's got that Greco-Roman wrestling background, went for like an under, uh, an over-under throw. And Gasolin just kind of felt the momentum of it and turned it into like a beautiful uh, lateral reversal. Um, I mean, it almost looked choreographed. Like it, he hit he, with that move, you have to hit it at the exact right spot to hit that kind of reversal where you're using your own downward momentum to flip the guy over. And also um, Hermanson has to be committed at a certain angle and really pushing hard towards that angle uh, for that reversal to work. And it was really awesome by Gaslam, but he winds up on top. Hermanson gets a hold of a heel hook while everything is still dry. Uh, and, and, you know, with the gloves, you know, the stickiness of the back of the gloves and the dry skin, that's just a really bad combination for trying to escape a heel hook. The first couple of times I watched it, Jeff, even the replays, I was like, why didn't, why did Kelvin stop rolling out of it? Because you see him, you know, defend the, the right way, but he didn't keep rolling and he didn't turn back to try and put weight on the foot. And I'm like, what is he doing? And then I had to watch it freeze framed to see that Jack Hermanson had his left foot hooked behind Kelvin's thigh and kind of arched his foot up, which was blocking Kelvin from rolling out of the heel hook. It was actually like expertly executed by Jack Hermanson. And I wasn't even thinking to look for this at first because that's a high level, uh, that's a high level leg lock maneuver. And, it, and you have to have really long legs. This is stuff you see guys like Gordon Ryan doing and Craig Jones, where they're like blocking the role. They're anticipating the role and blocking it. You don't see this kind of high level leg locking in MMA really, Jeff. Um, and especially from Hermanson, like nobody knew he was uh, a submission expert off of his back because he hadn't spent so much time there. Uh, but give me your thoughts on this fight here. Yeah, dude, that's kind of scary seeing that from Jack Hermanson. Uh, just see, and this is human chess, dude, and that, that that's a Bobby Fischer type play that Jack Hermanson did. So huge credit to him. I actually have to go back and watch it because I didn't notice that detail. So I'm going to go back and watch it right after this. But dude, you know, I, I've become a huge fan of Jack Hermanson in his last couple of fights, man. He's so well-rounded and he's dangerous at middleweight, dude. Um, we've seen him rack up a few submissions and a lot of them have been from really good positions like top position. So to be able to see that he has a more complete game, that he was able to deal with, a very good wrestler in Kelvin Gastelum while he himself was on his back. You know, I think that speaks very, very huge volumes about Jack Hermanson's overall skill. And, you know, credit to Kelvin Gastelum, dude, because it at first I thought he was just too calm. You know, it looked like he was a little too calm, and that's why he wasn't rolling out of it. But now I got to go back and watch the that uh, 
that foot behind the thigh thing because that that's just that's next level stuff, man. Yeah, super high level. I I have a, a screenshot of it where I where I circled where the foot is. I'll I'll text that to you when we're done. But yeah, man, scary to think that he's so good off of his back because the bigger guys usually aren't. Like if you think about heavyweight, you can count on one hand the guys that are good off their back. Frank Mir, Nogueira, Verdum. And the list kind of thins out there. <laughs> yeah, light heavyweight. You never see. Oh, um, uh, Cyril Gan. I would add to that list at heavyweight as well. Um, you know, he's he's got you know some good leg locks and stuff, which you usually don't see at heavyweight. Light heavyweight. I can't really think uh, of any off the top of my head, like guys that are going to submit you off of their back. Um, there, there's just not that threat in that division. And same with middleweight. And the reason being like the bigger guys don't usually develop that jujitsu technique because they don't have to, they can muscle in and out of a lot of things and they like the top pressure. Now, even at middleweight, you have guys like Jacare. Jacare is a world-class jujitsu specialist, but he's an old school top pressure guy. You're not going to see him like throwing up triangles really, or, or going for Kimura's off of his back or like a, maybe a guillotine here and there. But at middleweight, you don't have a lot of guys. You have to go all the way down to like lightweight before you really start. We really start racking up guys in MMA who are, um, you know, even capable off of their back. You know, you got guys like Tony Ferguson down there and Charles Oliveira and, and everything like that. And then the list goes on and on. But the bigger guys, you don't see this too much. So it's going to be interesting, man. Now that people know that Jack Hermanson has this tool in his toolbox, and he said that his heel hook is his best submission. Like people have only seen like really his guillotines and stuff in the in the UFC, and he he just never really had to use his leg locks. But apparently, that's what he drills the most, and it it shows, man. That was super high level. I can't stress that enough because especially because I saw a lot of hate for Kelvin on social media. It's like he got his leg grabbed by a guy who apparently is a leg lock specialist while it was dry you got the glove that's anchoring and he had his legs weaved in like there's no way he could have saw that coming um if you're gonna blame it on anything blame it on his like little samurai haircut yeah going on that was just that was a terrible idea <laughs> agreed in hindsight in hindsight taking her manson to the ground was a terrible idea but you have to have the foresight to see like not to do that to your hair <laughs> Yeah, dude, but that reversal was pretty sweet, man. You gotta, you gotta give him that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I went and rewatched that a couple of times, and I was like, man, he just hit that spot perfectly because that was a, you know, ninety nine out of a hundred people are getting taken down by that by Hermanson, and it, you know the the fact that he reversed it so smoothly, um, you know, big style points to Kelvin Gastelum there, and um. You know, I don't see any reason to kind of put Kelvin Gastelum down here. I think the story of that fight should be how incredible Jack Hermanson looked. Oh, yeah. Um, and period. And talk about the reversal by Gastelum. That's it. There's no like, oh, Gastelum wasn't in it. He's, his head wasn't in the fight. There, he's, he's, he should be done. Cause I saw a little bit of that talk and like, no, throw all that away. You got to give the credit to Jack Hermanson here. Phenomenal performance. Another phenomenal performance that I think people were also surprised by, Rafael Faziv making his UFC debut against Mark DeCasey. Now, a lot of people are familiar with DeCasey uh, with his flashy striking and 
um, you know, really high level kickboxing. I don't think anybody imagined this new guy would come in and just totally piece him up uh, and, and be able to avoid the shots. Like that, that one where he avoided the kick by like bending backwards, yeah. bending his back in half, like some kind of matrix move. And I, I was watching highlights of him. Apparently that's his thing. Like when you throw a high kick at him, that's how he evades it. Um, so this was an awesome fight, man. And one fight of the night, uh, deservedly. So give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude. And it looked like De Casey threw everything at him, man. I was awake for this one, Bill. Um, dude, such a good fight. And, you know, Rafael Fiziev just looked so calm in there, so composed. He was avoiding De Casey's wrestling, which we've seen he can, that the Casey can grapple as well, man. He's pretty well-rounded. So, mm-hmm. Uh, Fiziev just brought it to him, man, avoiding the shots, able to do some real damage, and able to grind it out for three rounds, able to avoid the grappling exchanges. Because, you know, for me, I think that's just as important as being able to grapple is not being able to grapple when you yourself do not want to, you know, mm-hmm. when you keep it standing because that's what you prefer. I think that is a huge testament. Uh, so, dude, Fiziev, he looked great in there. I want to see what's next for this guy, man, because Mark DeCasey, he's a serious customer, man. He, you know, we haven't seen him in a while, but he definitely brings it every time that he fights. So I think that's a huge ca- uh, feather in Fiziev's cap here. Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't see the odds before this one, but I had to imagine that DeCasey was a big favorite, you know, especially coming off that win against Lando Venata. Um uh, I got to say Fazeev and Lando Venata is a, is a fight that I would love to see two flashy guys, maybe like a John McDessie next for him. Um, something like that I, I think would make a lot of sense. Um, but down the line, man, Fazeev, like some of these matchups like uh, Dustin Poirier or a Dan Hooker. Um, and, and my dream one that I, that I threw out there off the bat is Justin Gaethje. I want to see Gaethje and Fiziev, Um, just because it's two guys like that are not going to want to go to the ground and it's just going to be like a battle of wills. Um, I got a little bit of heat for that one. Like, Hey, pump the brakes. I'm not saying I want to see it tomorrow, Jeff, but like at some point in my life, I want to see um, Raphael Fiziev and Justin Gaethje. Um, uh, another unexpected one here, the queen of violence, Ariane Lipsky uh, submits. Luana Carolina, when I saw this fight, I thought, like, all right, uh, Lipsky's a, a striker. Uh, Carolina's got a Muay Thai background. Like, we're going to see a stand-up battle. And, you know, I was kind of favoring Lipsky, but then I saw, like, Carolina had this kind of, like, fire to her. Like, when they were announcing her name, I was like, oh, this one's going to be good. Would have never thought this one would end in a submission, especially – the type of violent submission that it was Jeff, where Lipsky basically put herself in a calf slicer. One of the most painful submissions you could ever be in, by the way, it feels like somebody is just sticking a dagger into your calf. It's one of the most uh, painful things I've ever experienced. Grappling Uh, puts herself into that to grab a knee bar and just crank the shit out of it. Jeff, like, uh, it, it reminded me of like the old Flintstones episodes where they have like the machinery and they got to pull like the big wooden post to make it go. <laughs> like she grabbed that thing. She grabbed that thing. It was just like, 
<laughs> like <laughs> your leg ain't supposed to bend that way. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Queen of Violence, Jeff. Yeah, dude, Lipsky went in there and just did damage, dude. It looked and like you said, it looked like she was in trouble, man. I thought she was gonna get caught with that calf slicer. Um, you know, uh, what's her name? Carolina had her hands around Lipsky's waist and was ready to just crank it. And you know, I think that that's from Lipsky, just such to have the wherewithal and the understanding that, hey, if I just bring her towards me this way and line up my hips a little bit better and uh, take this, bend it forward, let's see what happens. Dude, I, I love it, man. Just being able to catch that knee bar out of, you know, such a sticky situation. Mm -hmm. you know, huge credit to ariana lipsky dude that was awesome and brutal too man carolina screamed when she tapped man yeah. uh, you know and with nobody there I, you know no fans in the audience everybody heard it so huge huge win for lipsky and what a fun fight to watch dude i you know i always love the grappling exchanges and even more so when they end in a submission like that yeah, for sure, man. And uh, I think a little bit more grappling awareness, and she may have been able to finish that calf slicer, you know, hiding the leg and positioning her body in a way that Lipsky wasn't able to get that leverage. Um, luckily, a knee bar is a very painful submission, but probably one of the safer leg locks in terms of long-term damage, mm. um, even as much as she cranked on that one. I don't imagine there's any... You know, like you're not really going to tear ligaments or anything with a knee bar. It's just really painful because your knee's not supposed to bend that way. Um, you, you know, there are exceptions, but I, I very rarely heard of, of any longstanding injuries from a knee bar. Um, you know, but it, it hurts like a motherfucker. Same thing with the calf slicer. Like it's not going to permanently damage anything. You might have a bruised muscle for a couple of weeks, but man, it's, it hurts so bad. Um, and I would personally, I would take as violent as that knee bar was, I would take the knee bar over like a fully applied calf slicer any day of the week. That's me personally. Um, pretty fun fight between Askar Askarov and Alexander Pantoja, uh, Pantoja, uh, pull guard, like right off the bat. And then Askarov spent the rest of the fight, like taking him down. Like, like, dude, you didn't have to pull guard. I was going to take you down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, um, but really, really intricate grappling exchanges in this one, Jeff, um, very back and forth. It was the wrestling and the defense of Askarov and the, uh, the aggressiveness. He's like, he, he knew right off the bat that this guy had top shelf jujitsu and he's like, yeah, but I got, I got this, you know, Russian wrestling Sambo. Um, so I'm not scared to take it to the ground. And, and he showed that he went all 15 minutes and, and spent most of it trying to keep it on the ground. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude. Uh, Asper Askarov looked amazing in there. And a really serious flyweight, man. So Askar Askarov did not have an easy task ahead of him, but the wrestling was good. His ground down was great. And he was able to keep Pantoja on the defense while they were on the ground. You know, um, what, you know, Pantoja was trying to look for submissions and stuff, but he was just way too tired from the output of Askarov. Mm -hmm. And, dude, um, Askarov's getting better all the time in there, man. He's somebody to definitely keep on your radar, especially at Flyweight where it's a little bit quiet. I think he can make a splash in that division, which hopefully 
you know, makes the division a little bit more interesting because right now we got nothing going on. Yeah, man, he might be looking at a title shot just because he fought on the same card as the champ. And I don't, I don't even know if he has a number next to his name or not. But, um, I, I mean, if they're going to make the fight, I'll watch it. I don't think I, I don't think you can make a flyweight fight now that that's a main event anytime soon. Um, you, you just can't. There's not you don't have the bodies to do that. Uh, Roman Deladze, uh, Delidze, uh, with the out over Kadis, uh Ibragamov, who Ibragamov, we've usually seen him like much more aggressive uh, than we did here. Um, but the the Georgian Delidze coming out of the gate swinging man and he was like taunting and like doing all this stuff and known to be more of a grappler but man he he made uh he made caddis thinks twice about engaging and then delize threw a high kick he was trying to land a high kick but he was too close a range like this is actually i don't think was intentional so he was <laughs> He didn't have the right distance to land the high kick. So what happened is the knee landed. And the reason I know that he didn't mean to land the knee is because after the knee landed, he kept extending the kick. <laughs> like if you're if you're throwing a knee, you throw the knee and you keep the knee bent because that keeps the 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 hard part of the bone facing the right way. He hit he landed with the knee and then you saw the rest of his leg keep extending for the kick. Um so he was just a little bit too close, but it worked out perfect for him because um, he, he got that first round knockout with it. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude, I love the aggression from Delice coming out. He was in uh, Ibragamov's face the whole time. And like you said, man, known more for his grappling, but, you know, got a very nice TKO. So good for Delice. I believe this was his UFC debut. So he's definitely started off with a finish, which is awesome. And, you know, I hope to see more fireworks out of this guy. Yes, uh, it was his UFC debut. He came from the WWFC. WWFC. Um, but yeah, uh, all all finishes in this guy's career. So uh, he's going to be an exciting one to watch at late heavyweight. Man, all these fighters coming out of Georgia. You know, we saw um, Joju yeah. on uh, Wednesday night. We got the leads a um we have uh chikadze i believe is from georgia and we have of course marab Dvalishvili, who's gonna be fighting john dodson coming up pretty soon um so and they gotta send the ufc over to georgia at some point right oh yeah dude that would definitely be an exciting card although i don't know how big georgia is georgia a big country bill i don't know. don't teach geography anymore i don't know I, I i don't believe it's it's very big um, but you know, they're, they're very passionate people there. So, and from what I understand, they're very supportive of the fighters. The fighters are like, uh, big time celebrities over there. So I think it would be cool if they did, if they did a UFC in, uh, in Georgia. All right. A couple other things. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Grant Dawson, unanimous decision over Nad Naramani. Uh, Joel Alvarez submits Joe Duffy in the first round with a guillotine. And Duffy just looks so disappointed. Uh, two minutes, 25 seconds. Looks so disappointed when he got up. Uh, immediately announced his retirement. Uh, I guess feels like he just can't cut it anymore. Um, you know, he had some some pretty cool moments in this fight. Like, he threw that one, like, spinning kick that looked like if it landed, it would have been big trouble. But 
Um, you know, this is three in a row to him. Now, granted, they were all to to, to good fighters, but uh, I guess Duffy feels like he's he's not going to reach that point. Um, you know, like he just can't compete with the elite. He's got losses to Dustin Poirier, James Vick, Mark Casey, and now Joel Alvarez. So I guess he feels like, you know, if I'm just going to be like a journeyman fighter, then I don't want to keep doing this. I want to explore some other things. Uh, so give me your thoughts on the fight and uh, the decision of Joe Duffy to retire immediately afterwards. Um, see, this is hard, though, because Joe Duffy, he's not a bad fighter, but I feel like he's more known for beating the la- for being the last guy to beat Conor McGregor before uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. So I don't know how much that factored into it because to be to fight um, – Dustin Poirier so early on in your UFC career, uh, with how high ranked he is, I, I think that that has not been uh, to his advantage. I feel like maybe the weight of being associated with Conor McGregor in that way, you know, I think it's just been a little bit too much for him. Um, I I don't know if maybe being in the UFC is the right move for him. I think that he could definitely do it in some more. Um, local circuits, uh, I think he'd be really good there. And, you know, just brush up on a few things, you know, get some polish. But, uh, dude, Joel Alvarez uh, was in there with no nonsense. Duffy went in for the takedown, and Alvarez was like, all right, I'm going to take your neck if you're going to do this. And yeah. as soon as they hit the ground, he was tapping. So, yeah. very guillotine for Joel Alvarez. Um, and yeah, dude, uh, you know, so good for Joel Alvarez. As for Joe Duffy, I think, you know, just get some polish in the local scene and then, you know, try to come back at some point. Yeah, for sure. We saw some high-level submissions on this card, and Mr. Worldwide Dale wants to know Taylor Whitaker. We're going to get into that card in just a little bit. We're going to finish up uh, with the fight night here. Um, another one of those great submissions was Amir Albazi against Malcolm Gordon. Now, um, pretty standard uh, triangle setup. He jumped to the high guard and Malcolm just made zero effort to posture out of this, uh, which is why Albazi was able to lock it up. But you could kind of tell from the way he was moving that even if he had postured, he would maybe transition to a couple of other things. Um, w- one thing I want to comment on, cause Michael Bisbing said that Albazi hadn't gotten the hand across, uh, which is a very popular way to finish the triangle. and makes it a little bit tighter, but what he did instead and this is a very subtle difference. He angled his body to the right, which then changes the angle of his knees. And it works like a scissor motion. And I know people who are listening to the audio version can't see what I'm doing with my hands. But when you're squared up with your opponent, yeah, to get that squeeze, you need to get their hand across. But if you're not square and you angle off to the side and turn the angle of your knees, it really creates a tight squeeze. So you don't need to get the hand across. And that's probably a little known detail about the triangle choke. Um, not a specialty of mine. I can teach it fairly well, but I, I am not blessed with uh, triangle triangling limbs. <laughs> so it's just not one of my things. But um, I personally have a hard time getting the arm across. So when I do go for a triangle, I go for that angle. Um, much like Albazi did, but yeah, zero attempt to posture up out of this from Malcolm Gordon. So, uh, you can't really feel bad for him that he got caught with this, but, uh, impressive performance from Albazi. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, dude. And I, uh, like you said, I love that Albazi went perpendicular 
to uh, to Malcolm Gordon, which definitely helped finish the triangle better. I think that's something that they teach us short-limbed guys, Bill. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I have a hard time locking up triangles with my legs just because I'm a short guy and I have pretty pretty big legs. So there's very little room for to put somebody in a triangle, especially if they have wider shoulders. So um yeah, dude, I, I love the tweak on it. That um that that's something that actually John Danaher stresses a lot is being able to turn that angle uh in his uh triangle series that I mm-hmm. see popping up on my YouTube feed uh during commercials and stuff. So yeah, dude, a uh, huge detail, and and that's what jujitsu is, right? Those little steps that help tighten everything up. But yeah, dude, um, I love how active Amir Abazi was off his guard, dude. Like you know, Malcolm Gordon was a little too happy to jump into his guard, uh, which you know you never want to jump into somebody's guard who's that active. Like you said, Frank Mir. Very good off his back. He's someone who has a very active guard, man. I remember his fight with Brock Lesnar the first time they fought, and he was doing those, like, big loops with his legs and stuff. You know, when you see somebody doing stuff like that, you know, you're better off stepping back and letting the ref stand you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Um, so, yeah, a lot of interesting matchups here, and we're starting to see a trend Jeff with like these high level jujitsu guys that, that are willing to throw crazy strikes cause they don't care if the fight goes to the ground and their weakness seems to be like these Eastern European and, and Russian type guys uh, that have a really strong wrestling and grappling background. So another example of this was Armand Saryukian and Davy Hamos cause Davy Hamos super legit jujitsu and he's throwing some wild stuff in there. Uh, basically giving up the takedown to Saryukin. Like he didn't, he didn't really defend a single takedown because he didn't mind being on his back and he's really good there, man. He's good at where he puts his feet. You know, he's able to control the biceps with his feet, control the hips with his feet, uh, but just couldn't make anything happen. there. very similar to the Askar Askarov and uh, Alexander Pantoa fight. Uh, so this is kind of what we're seeing, man. We're seeing this, this elite level jujitsu kind of get neutralized by this uh, top heavy, uh, you know, Eastern European and wrestling, Russian uh, grappling style. Um, any thoughts on that, Jeff? Actually, but I was going to ask you because, um, you know, like you said, it looks like Sambo is starting to kind of be the answer to high level jujitsu. And these guys who have been doing it for a long time, you know, we in the Western world, we, we, Sambo is not something I hear of a lot. You know, I don't hear of a Sambo gym anywhere. So Bill, do you think that maybe Sambo is starting to become that top grappling, uh, set that you want to have, like along with wrestling and jujitsu? And do you think we're going to see more of it in the Western world? Maybe in the next five to 10 years. What do you think? I know that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, no. I'm going to surprise you with my answer. I don't think that's what we're going to see a lot of. And here's the reason, because a lot of these guys, what they're doing is a lot of freestyle and Greco Roman wrestling technique, but they're crediting Sambo. Um, You know, in Sambo, you wear a gi top. um, So, you know, there's different kinds of throws and different kinds of grips. And you also wear shoes. So there's like different, different leverage. In order to be able to dominate these jujitsu guys like they're doing, they have to be pr- practicing more, um, you know, freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling, where you know they're 
they're not wearing a gi top and, and they don't have that friction and they have to be training these things. But out of respect, they like to say that they are Sambo fighters. Um, and it, it's also, you know, like where they developed their toughness and their, you know, their fortitude and things like that. I don't think that there's anything that comes from Sambo that's going to be like universally applied in, in MMA where you start identifying Sambo techniques mm. from fighters who are not, who do not have a Sambo background. Uh, however, you will have uh, Sambo guys with a Sambo background using freestyle and Greco Roman techniques. And then after the fact, crediting Sambo for, for what they did, you know, guys like Khabib, like Khabib is a great example. Khabib is wrestling in there, man. He's cage wrestling. There's no cage in Sambo, you know, because a, a lot of the ways that Khabib is dragging you to the ground, he's not taking you down in open space. Like you grapple in open space in Sambo and, and wrestling and things like that. He uses the cage to drag you down into the deep waters. Um, but he says like, oh, it's Sambo. And if Sambo was easy, they would call it jujitsu. And he says things like that. Um, that's to build up their culture and build up their art. And, you know, credit to them for that because, like I said, the Sambo background is where they get their toughness and it is where they get their tendon strength uh, to be able to wrestle the way they do. Um, but I think it's just, um, you know, positional awareness and and just years and years and years of grappling in general. Um, the, the same reason that wrestlers have advantages, but, um, you know, the old school wrestlers left themselves susceptible to things like guillotines and triangles and stuff like that in the beginning. And they kind of like evolved away from that. I think in general, we're just seeing more grappling aptitude amongst MMA fighters, you know, uh, they just have to. Um, so the, these high level jujitsu guys, you know, every MMA gym has a Davy Hamos in it now. Um, whereas, you know, maybe as, as short as three, four, five years ago, they didn't. Um, so, you know, everybody's kind of seeing guys like this. They're seeing like the Gilbert Burnses. They're seeing the, the Damian Mayas. They're training with these guys and they know the tricks and they know how to, how to neutralize and compose. So uh, probably a longer answer than you were looking for, Jeff, but um, yeah. Anything else on that? No, I think it's interesting, man, which, you know, it makes me wish that some wrestling options were a little bit more available in like my jujitsu gyms, which, you know, I, I, there are some wrestlers who train jujitsu, but you know, there are no actual classes. So you kind of just get roughed up by them. Yeah. It's unfortunate, man. For whatever reason, a lot of high level wrestlers that aren't interested in taking like jujitsu, especially like in the gi and stuff. Um, they just don't, for whatever reason, they just don't enjoy it. Um, you know, maybe it's like the humbling aspect in the beginning, um, you know, cause like when I first put the gi on, I was lost, man. It was like, I felt like I never grappled before, even though like I started wrestling when I was 11 years old and I had like a year and a half of no gi jujitsu. And I felt like pretty confident in my jujitsu, but I put that gi on man and it was different, but you know, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, if you get me, I want to learn how you got me. So you don't get me again. Um, but a lot of wrestlers don't have that mentality. They're like, nah, fuck this. I'm just... I want to dominate people. I'm going to do something where I can dominate people. Yeah. See, for me, it's the opposite because I started in the gi and then went to no gi and I just felt so free. I felt so much faster without the gi on because I didn't have the extra like two or three pounds, which when it's soaked with how sweaty I get, it's an extra like seven pounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen it. 
I seen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's let's put a bow on this card. Uh, the only other fight I really want to get into um, was it the Dawson fight versus uh, Naramani? No, what was that? Did we uh, skip that? Uh, well, we oh no, Grant, no, the one I wanted to talk about was Brett Johns and Montel Jackson mm. because Brett Johns won the fight and. Um, I, I took a little bit of flack for saying this too. He won the fight and rightfully so. I don't disagree with the decision at all, but I saw more promising things from Montel Jackson than I saw from Brett Johns. Cause from Brett Johns, we saw what well, we've always seen from him, like relentless pressure with the rap, with the wrestling and getting the fight to the ground and, and, you know, good positional work on the ground. But so many things impressed me about Montel Jackson. I feel like he can improve so much from this fight even more because you can tell that he's very coachable, um, that he's very aware of himself and that he's, he's very in tune with details just from the composure that he showed, uh, when he got into bad positions, controlling the wrists of Brett Johns was very good. Um, not getting submitted by Brett Johns, uh, which is, very impressive because Brett is, you know, world-class on the ground. So his positional awareness and, and mostly his composure, uh, the way he stayed so calm and you could tell that he wanted to be very technical, even though he's really big and strong. I don't know how this guy makes 135 pounds and he had really fast hands too. That's another thing that, that really caught my eye about Montel Jackson. I feel like there's a lot of potential for this guy. I don't think he'll be a bantamweight for very long just because of the size of his frame. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of great things from him, but credit to Brett Johns, you know, he did what he had to do to win the fight. Um, and and I, I thought it was an interesting fight. Uh, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, definitely a good matchup. Very back and forth this fight too. Um, you know, it was definitely close. Uh, I thought that Brett Johns won as well, but I would not have been disappointed if they gave it to Montel Jackson. Uh, but you know, he was just in too many bad positions. But he, you know, he was doing well with adversity. He, like you said, controlling the wrists, reducing the damage that was being dealt to him while in those bad positions. I think mm -hmm. that's very good quality to have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, dude, Jackson's young in the UFC, you know, um, so he's definitely got uh, a lot of potential. And like you said, coachable, able to kind of uh, be able to look back and reflect on himself, which I think is very hard to do considering the culture of our country mm -hmm. where nobody's wrong about anything. Um, but yeah, so just to be able to, uh, to go back and say, hey, um, I didn't like how this looked. I didn't look how the, like how that looked. I could have done this better. I think that is definitely something that's going to make him successful in the UFC. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I picked up on that right away, that very coachable quality and being able to make adjustments mid-fight, especially when you're so new to the I UFC and you're in there with a, a veteran like Brett Johns, uh, you know, who's been around the block a few times, who's very, very capable grappler and, and very dangerous guy. You know, he's got some some crazy slick submissions. He's got a leg lock game. He's got uh, spectacular back control. Um, so, yeah, uh, impressed both of those guys. Anything else on the uh, Figueredo versus Benavidez fight night? Or, or do you want to put a bow on this one? Yeah, I think we can move on because next week's card looks very, very exciting as well. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and the number one question we've been getting is, is who's taking it Whitaker or till. And I know I got into this a little bit on Wednesday's episode, but, um, I know the, I know the audio listeners kind of tune out on the brawl crawls a little bit. So they probably didn't make it all the way to us talking about, uh, this fight night. Of course, we're talking about UFC on ESPN 14, uh, Robert Whitaker versus Darren till, um, it's tough, man, because we haven't seen Till face that much adversity. I, I think he definitely hasn't been under the kind of pressure that he's going to be under from Robert Whitaker. We know that he struggles a little bit with the grappling. You know, his submission lost to Tyron Woodley. Granted, Woodley dropped him first, but um, the, he showed like very little grappling awareness. I think he doesn't really care to grapple that much. He's just one of those guys that wants to stand and strike and his striking is very good um, from that left side, you know, that left elbow, that left kick, that left punch. Um, he doesn't tend to mix things up that much. You know, his power strikes come from his power side. So with Whitaker's foot movement and uh, his footwork and his speed and his ability to grapple and wrestle, um, he, you know, the guy was like uh, on the national wrestling team. Um, and joined it without having wrestled in, in high school. And there's only one other guy I can say who has developed the wrestling, the kind of wrestling that Robert Whitaker has, uh, without wrestling in high school or college. And that's George St. Pierre. Um, so that's the highest of compliments right there. Um, so if Whitaker, like, you know, wants to take this to the ground, he's going to have a huge advantage there. Um, you know, we saw him go to the ground with Jacare and, and have no, he had Jacare on his back and couldn't get submitted. So there's no danger of getting submitted by Darren Till on the ground. Um, yeah, if he can avoid those big power shots uh, of Darren Till now, granted, there's always that puncher's chance, Jeff, or that kicker's chance, um, that Till is able to catch him with something big and, and just, and just rush in on him. But Man, I don't, I don't see a way Whitaker loses this fight as long as he comes in uh, composed and sticks to a game plan, uh, skill for skill. There's no comparison, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I'm. I gotta give it to Till. I mean, I'm sorry to Robert Whitaker on this one. Sorry, I misspoke there. Um, yeah, I don't see Whitaker um, weaker to any areas uh, than Darren Till. Actually, let me freeze. I don't like how that sentence came out. Um, I, I feel like I feel like Robert Whitaker is just a little bit better at everything relating to MMA in comparison to Darren Till. You know, yes, Darren Till can kick very hard, but Robert Whitaker has been in there with kickboxers. He's been in there with Muay Thai guys. He's good at not getting hit. He's good at avoiding grappling if he wants to. He's good at engaging in grappling if he wants to. Mm -hmm. So, you know. And like you said, Darren Till, you know, he's got the puncher's chance. Maybe he lands a clean shot right on the temple in the first round. That could happen. Yeah. Um, I don't see it happening. Um, you know, I think I, I think this is Whitaker's fight to lose here. Um, but, Bill, I'm, I'm just giggling over here because uh, on Wikipedia, I was looking at the card, and the main event is, uh, is listed as Ariel Hawani, which I know you hate. Versus uh, Ben Askren, <laughs> so I'm just like, what? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm looking at the right card, but now I'm on bloody elbow. <laughs> but um, um, well, 
Is there First a of all, that? I I have no idea. I guess they've gotten into some kind of verbal spat, but um, I hate no men, Jeff, because uh, hating someone means like you have to put energy into them, and if I if I don't care for someone, I don't put any energy towards them. I just you know, let them do their thing and ignore that they exist. And I, I go about my day. Um, but I don't know of any backstory there. Um, I guess, you know, they must've had some kind of back and forth. Wikipedia is funny, man. It, they'll, uh, they'll have some wild stuff on there. Um, this cold main event, Jeff troubles me. All right, wait, hold on, Bill, before you mention it, because I'm still, I was looking at Wikipedia, and I want to make sure that this is the right co-main event, Bill, because it also says it on Bloody Elbow, and I, I just, I can't wrap my head around this. Is it Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Antonio Noguera? Is that the co-main event we're talking about? Part three. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Um... I mean, I know that they're not as old as they seem. Like, all right. So, in fairness, Shogun, in his last couple of fights, like he had the draw with Paul Craig, and then he had the knockout of Tyson Pedro, that that comeback knockout win. Uh, he got knocked out by Anthony Smith, but then John Volante, Corey Anderson, and Noguera, three wins in a row. Um, I mean, when you hear these names, though, and he's only 38 years old, but, um, you know, he's been fighting since he was, like, 19 in Pride. So you just feel like he's been around for, for like, five decades. Um, but it's not the case. And no, no, Little Nog, too, um, you, you know, he's he's just been around forever. So you feel like um, it, it's been longer, but... Uh, he's coming off that nasty, nasty knockout loss to Ryan Spann. And then he's been up and down, man. He beat Sam Alvey, knocked him out. Uh, but then he had a knockout loss to Ryan Bader. He knocked out Patrick Cummings, the loss to Shogun, and then the loss to Rumble Johnson. If you look at their records, man, they're not that bad. Um, but like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't like I'm trying to I'm trying to talk through it, Jeff. I'm trying to to figure it out, but it's it almost seems like an old timers day. And it, granted, these guys aren't even much older than me. Uh, let's just move on because I I can't wrap my head around this one. I can't spin it in a way like maybe it's going to be an awesome fight. It could be. I mean, there's always that possibility, but I mean, I they know. are one and one. Like we got to know, like for all time, who's the best, but like, you don't want to say like, oh yeah, well, Shogun won two out of three, but in the last one, they were both kind of geriatric, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, your boy, Alexander Gustafson making the move up to heavyweight tall order against, uh, Fabricio Verdum. Uh, this is like an interesting matchup that like you never thought you would see, but now we're going to see it and, like, all right. I, I'm not like, I, here's another one. I really got to try like, cause I, it's just like a fight I never thought about before. And, and Verdum was very lackluster in his last performance and Gustafson 
retired after his last fight. So you got two guys that like don't really seem they want to be in there, but like at the same time, it's an interesting stylistic matchup because like Gustafson is a better wrestler. Verdum's good off his back. Verdum throws like some wild strikes. Gustafson is moving to heavyweight. Like there's a lot of dialogue you could go with this here, but um, that's all I got. Bill, this is the move to make for Alexander Gustafson because if DC loses to Stipe Miocic in, in this third fight that they're uh-huh. going to have in August, you know, the, the heavyweight division's a little bit more open, man. So I am excited for this one. You know, as a fan, I mean, I'm also biased. I'm a fan of Alexander Gustafson, and I'm excited to see how he matches up with Verdum, dude, former heavyweight champion, um, world class jujitsu. So that's definitely going to be a test for Gustafson. And Bill, I don't think that we can necessarily count out um, Verdum here. You know, his last fight, yeah, it didn't go great, but he hadn't fought in like two years because he got suspended for telling Reebok to suck his balls or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> you know, um, the, I think there's a little bit of rust, but Bill, I think this fight's going to deliver a little bit more than you're expecting. So, Bill, th- this fight is going to be my dark horse fight for this one, my sleeper fight, as you put it. Okay. Okay. We're doing that. Um, I'm going to give you mine. It's it's Alex Cowboy Oliveira and Peter Sabata. Uh, that's a really fun fight. You know, Cowboy is very rarely an adult fight. And I feel like Peter Sabata flies under a lot of people's radar. Um, the the German, he's super well-rounded. He's got a, a ridiculous finishing rate, like 17 wins. Only two time, only two of them have gone to a decision. Um, he, he hasn't fought in like two years, but the last time he fought was against Leon Edwards. Um, you know, he's knocked out Ben Saunders. Um, you know, he's, he's had some impressive performances. I think this is going to be a fun fight and I'll give you another bonus one here too, Jeff. That's on the early prelims and it's Betch Korea and Pani Kianzad, uh, who is uh, known for her stint on the ultimate fighter. Uh, I think that's a fun female fight that, that might surprise a lot of people with how competitive it is. Um, that I, and those are girl, two girls who can both strike. Um, let's see. We got, uh, Marina Rodriguez and Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza, like Marina Rodriguez is undefeated and Carla Esparza, like you never know <laughs> what you're getting out of her. Like she always kind of looks like she doesn't want to be there. Nah, she just, that, that's not what that face dude. She just, that face is a sad and hungry face. For having to cut weight, that's what that is. I know, like Ben, and also like hungry because like she had to sell her Harley Davidson. She went on the Ultimate Fighter to uh, to like buy food or something. I think she was saying, um, but she's on a three fight win streak, man. You know, coming off that win against uh, Michelle Waterson, where a lot of people I think counted her out. Like you know, she's she's climbing her way back up to the top, like slowly but surely, but. Marina Rodriguez, man, that's a that that's a tough that's a tough chick at this uh, strawweight division. What do you think about this fight, Jeff? Oh, this one's definitely going to be exciting, man. Like you said, Marina Rodriguez, definitely, definitely a tough fighter. Um, and you know, Carlos Barza, 
you know, if the right Carla shows up, it'll be a good fight. And if the wrong one shows up, she might get knocked out quick. So I think mm -hmm. either way, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. Yeah, Marina Rodriguez, two controversial fights where she went to draws with uh, Random Marcos and Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, I don't know how many UFC fighters have two draws on their record yet, but it can't be very many. Uh, she's got to be an elite group there, especially because she's only got four fights in the UFC, but also wins over Jessica Aguilar and Tisha, and, uh, Tisha Torres. Uh, so that's a fun fight. We got Paul Craig against Gads Himarad and Tigilov. That should oh, be a fun one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we got Kosmat uh, Kiyamayev, who just fought like last week, and he's getting back in there because he just stayed in Abu Dhabi. He's like, I'm going to stay here. And he had a dominant performance in his UFC debut. He's fighting Reese McKee, who I don't know anything about him, but I didn't know anything about Kiyamayev until last week, and I'm excited to see him fight again. Uh, so Reese McKee looks like he's making his UFC debut, uh, 10 and two, six foot one in the welterweight division. Uh, so yeah, that's a fun fight right there, Jeff. Um, you know, Kia Maya looks so dominant and we got, uh, our old buddy, Francisco Trinaldo, uh, fighting a guy named Jai Herbert, who's uh 10 and one, uh, Let's see what else is popping out here. This card is huge, Jeff. There's there's 15 fights on this card, by the way. So this is a, this is a long night out. I hope this one starts at like four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, Ramazan Amiv and Nicholas Stoltz. That should be a fun fight. Uh, the first fight, Nathaniel Wood and Joss uh, Castaneda. Oh, that'll be. Yeah, that's a good opening fight. Um, yeah, this is a long night, Jeff. Man, I I hope this one starts early, or I may not make it through this. So, so uh, Nathaniel Wood, we last saw him in February. He got knocked out by John Dodson, but other than that, he was on a he was on a tear. Man, um, submitted Jose Quinones, uh, submitted Andre Yule. Uh, submitted Johnny Eduardo and then uh, you know a couple of knockouts leading up to his UFC debut this this guy I remember was a highly touted prospect it's a fun card man I'm excited for it uh, any other thoughts on on the card as a whole or or is there anything I missed or I don't know where do you want to go with this no, dude, the, the card looks awesome. I think it's definitely going to be exciting, uh, but I also hope it's not too long, like you said, because I enjoy my sleep now that it is back to a normal schedule. Mm -hmm. You hit your, uh, what is it, the Zarkadian rhythm? What's that <laughs> yeah. called? I don't know. Wait till you have a kid, Jeff. Then you're Zarkadian fucked. Bill. All my, I'm at that age. I'm 28, so I'm at that age where all my friends are from high school are either getting married or having kids. So I would rather pick the fourth option, which is none of the above. <laughs> Neither of those things seem appealing to me. Bill, kids cost like a quarter million dollars to raise them to 18. That's a quarter million dollars that would get me closer to being a millionaire, Bill. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cost me that much and my kids too. So the next 16 years are going to be brutal, man. Um, Jeff, you know this because you know me well. I love my daughter more than anything, but 
like after this weekend, I was looking forward to a work week to recover from the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) We basically spend the whole weekend, like trying to find ways to, to tire my daughter out. But I think I'm just turning her into a super athlete. Like (laughs) we, now I bring her to the park down the street. Jeff, she's two years old. They got a rock wall. She climbs the whole rock wall. Jeez. And I'm like, this kid is a freak. I'm like, I'm just trying to tire her out. I'm tired, like just watching her. And then I have to climb up the rock wall to make sure she doesn't fall off because she's two. Uh, so then we get home and she's still running circles around me asking for chocolate and ice cream. And I'm like, no, daddy needs a nap. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it is awesome, Jeff. I, lo- I love being a dad. Um, you know, as frustrating and as exhausting as it is, like, like those moments where she just comes up and she's like, I love you, daddy. Like those are, those are the times where it's like, okay, I love you too. But like, just let me nap for a minute. <laughs> oh, like, if you really understand what love is, you just let me rest. You're like, oh, <laughs> go play for a minute. Um, I, I asked her the other day, Jeff, this was kind of a cute story. I was like, Ariana, do you know what love is? She said, Yes. So what is love? And she says, Daddy loves me. <laughs> that that is cute. That that's adorable, dude. Right? And I was like, oh man. I'm like, I feel bad about being so mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Bill, you're a dad. You're not a saint, man. Listen, she's gonna take you off every now and then. Wait until she's a teenager and she asks and she wants to go on dates with people. Then you're gonna not be patient. But listen. Um, it, it definitely sounds like there's some parts of fatherhood that make it all worth it. I just don't like the part where I have to become a human ATM machine for <laughs> dude. The, the money thing is not a problem. Like I'll, I, I'll, I'll pay more money for my daughter to be comfortable and be in daycare, like away from me <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, happy to pay the money for, to have all of like the modern comforts this world has to offer. Um, but I, I would pay a little extra if I could get some more sleep. Um, <laughs> that being said, kid, it's about, uh, 9 PM on a Monday night here. So, uh, is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we, uh, wrap things up here? No, now that you start talking about Ariana, I kind of miss her. So, so hopefully I can go see her when you guys are up here in yeah. August because I don't think I'll be able to fly down there anytime soon because everything yeah. about to get shut down again. I don't know, Bill. I don't it's know. A what do. It's a it's a mess and and um, hopefully we uh, provide a little bit of a distraction for people uh, who are dealing with all this kind of stuff and I uh, hope you guys are all still being good to each other out there. You know, there's a lot of crazy shit going on. Kanye West is trying to run for president and he's just totally off the rails. Like, I don't know what's going on anymore, Jeff. I don't know what to believe, but I know that MMA on the rocks will be here. Uh, this is, this is the one constant, uh, you know, we'll be giving you guys drink recommendations and semi-professional fight breakdowns. Uh, <laughs> As long as we have internet, as long as internet still exists, we'll still be here trying to provide a distraction for you guys. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of Jeff, you can do so at animal underscore Wilson, Twitter and Instagram. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at me on the rocks everywhere on the internet. Uh, We appreciate all of you that have been with us 
for 200 plus episodes now over four years of doing this podcast and it's still fun that's why we're still here if it wasn't fun we wouldn't do it because we don't make money off this thing uh every now and then we get some free booze and that that kind of makes it worth us for us um in any case uh if you guys want to grab yourselves an mma on the rock t-shirt and if you're watching this show on youtube or facebook uh the background is what the t-shirt looks like pretty much uh, but you can grab one of those through our friends at rip life team reaper riplife1.com to make it easy i've been putting the link to the mma on the rocks t-shirt uh directly in the show notes so if you're watching on youtube facebook uh podcast wherever you are you can just go to the episode details and click the link there or you can click the link in my instagram bio at mma on the rocks we appreciate everybody who has purchased a t-shirt of course and uh everybody who has represented the show and shared episodes and told people about the show and and had watch parties for the show and uh, oh whatever crazy shit you guys are doing out there and uh recommending great drinks to us and and we even like criticism and everything like that. We we love interacting with you guys. So we appreciate all of that, all the, the reviews, all of the feedback, all of the everything for the past 200 plus episodes and uh, the last four years. So all that being said, until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.